0: Uh, for starters give us a little bit of um my co-host call it the new kid at school i call it the new prisoner on the cell block
1: Infra- <laughs> yeah my name's john bassoff um and i write dark fiction you know it's i've always had a tough time figuring out if it's if it's horror or if it's crime or something else it kind of straddles the lines i guess um but i've had i guess about uh i think seven books my name right now i've got another one coming out later this year and um so yeah that's who i am
0: right on right on well i'm glad we're finally talking too because uh i've been reading your stuff for a while now and um it's obviously as you know i'm i'm quite a fan
1: yeah i appreciate that
0: um so i have read i'm thinking about what even. I've read uh, corrosion, mm. um, the drive-through crematorium,
1: right,
0: and and now um, the lantern man, and I have uh, one other, but um, it, anyway, the point being, they've all been stellar, um, and they've all been, and this is, I'm getting to my point, honestly, <laughs> um, they've all been drastically different from each other too
1: yeah those those three books you mentioned really are all different and i, I think it's just um i like haven't i've never been interested in in writing a series mainly because i'm so sick of my characters by the time the book ends that that's all i can handle with them um but also i, I like to do to try new things and to kind of challenge myself and so um you know the Drive-through crematoriums got kind of this real sort of Kafka-esque feel to it in, in sort of a twisted way, and um, and then Corrosions got a, a little bit more of that sort of uh, rural gothic noir feel to it, and then The Lantern Man was was something different that I tried with with all sorts of um, sort of different media's within the in the book. So there's you've got um, you know, you've got letters in there and photographs and stuff, and, and so it's sort of up to the, the reader to put all the pieces together to, to figure out this mystery. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's the one thing, for better or for worse, is usually when you read my stuff, you're, you're going to be in for some kind of a surprise.
0: Yeah, and that's, uh, t- for me, you know, and I think a lot of readers, that's, all, that's nothing but for the better, you know, because none of us want to read the same story twice, especially right now.
1: yeah Um, i I think you know i i I think i have a lot of the same themes that just kind of creep into it you know no matter what i do some of the the themes of of identity and and memory and um you know obviously violence and that kind of stuff but i but i like to do it in in different formats and tell the story in, in a different way and i think i think most artists are are trying to figure out how to how to say the same thing and and you keep trying to do it until you you get it right and you never do but
0: but yeah but that's the thing though but by doing that you just keep getting better and you know that's the important thing is you put out a good book the next time you put out a better one you know what i mean yeah i hope so um um, it's yeah otherwise you know you're writing for yourself truly (laughs) (laughs) right but uh what you were talking about um that the uh multimedia approach to um, the Lantern Man that is something that uh, I really really enjoyed I know Rich really enjoyed it Um, haven't had a chance to talk to Laurel yet but um, that causes that work for me anyway to to come off as extremely um, what authentic
1: I want to say yeah, I, I was, you know, I, I had a story to tell. I wanted to do it in a way that, um, as I said before, there's like the reader has to kind of put all these pieces together. And so the way The Lantern Man is is done is you have uh, this this girl Lizzie Grinder, who at, at the very beginning of the story we we find out is already dead, um, but they found some of her her journals at you know at the place of her death. And so now a detective is sort of going through her journals. And as he's reading through them, he's making footnotes. And so the the investigation is sort of told through these footnotes. And then uh, in his investigation, he's he's questioning, you know, the, the veracity of what she's saying. Um, I've always been, you know, kind of fascinated with the the idea of the unreliable narrator. And so a lot of my books have narrators that are unreliable so you know some people argue that every narrator is unreliable in a way um, but you have the this detective who I wanted to put is kind of like the the one who was sort of giving us the facts and and telling us what is true and what isn't true through his investigation but of course then as, as you start reading you begin to wonder is he getting everything right um, and is as is always the case the answer is no
0: yeah yeah and it's kind of it gives you a not totally but in a way it kind of gave me a feel like um you know one of those uh investigative shows on the id channel or something like that where you're getting the facts from one and then you're getting what might be hearsay from another and you know what i mean different types of information fed to you as the viewer um and this felt kind of like a kind of like a almost literary version of that but uh much more well done than those so-called mysteries are
1: (laughs) yeah well thanks yeah i mean it's um i've always i I just think a lot of the time the stuff that i write is stuff that i would enjoy reading um and so i know there's some readers who are are fine with just a straightforward mystery you know there's people who say that even if a mystery is written badly you're going to finish it because you want to find out who did it and I, i haven't been that way i i if i get bored with a book i'll i'll just kind of put it down and, and for me one of the, the interesting things is is really that that character study and so not just the the mystery itself but like um just being able to to delve into the person the, the narrator himself or herself and uh, all the biases the narrator has all the secrets the narrator is trying to to hold back and then us as a reader trying to figure out what we can believe and what we can't believe
0: right um, and that's kind of a thread that's obvious in at least everything I've read by you so far. Um, is that they're all character centric and you can, I mean, that's, they all come off reading like, like a good story, but they also come off, um, as a character study. Yeah. Um, but it may, but it makes you, because you care that much about the character. Um, I feel like it makes you know me, the reader also care about the character.
1: Yeah, my, you know my my characters are usually pretty wounded, you know, i, I <clears throat> I've always had a tough time writing redemption in my stories. i'm I'm getting there, but I've always had a tough time with that. Um, but usually when i when I start my books, I you know my my starting point is the character and the setting, and then um, the the plot follows after that um and you know obviously they kind of all all weave together um but but for me with without having that that central character the the wounded character the the character that you you care about despite all of his or her flaws um you know that that's that's what makes writing rewarding for me
0: uh um yeah and um sorry i had a thought that i do this frequently completely left
1: me yeah that happens to me every every moment of my life so
0: <laughs> uh yeah me too and it's uh kind of aggravating sometimes um so yeah you were talking about uh the multiple threads in the story um and it, it got me to thinking about based um the lizzie's thread and um I'm trying to remember. I don't remember her brother's name, but that the relationship yeah,
1: his name is stormy.
0: Right, stormy. Sorry, um, I knew it was something like that, and I couldn't pull it out. But uh, that's a very interesting relationship they have going there.
1: Yeah, you know, it's. Um, I actually took that a little bit from my my dad and and his sister. Um, not to get too deep into the psychology, but, uh, you know, there was it was a, a relationship where she really idolized him for a, for a long time. Um, and in in the book that I wrote, Lizzie, you know, she she's already her father's gone. And so she she looks at her brother, even though he's just a year older than her, uh, looks at her kind of as a as a father figure as well as a brother um, and you know, there is definitely almost a a sense, too, of like wanting to be, you know, having a romantic relationship with him, even though it never never comes to that. Um, and so that that relationship, when we start to see that that Stormy is is accused of a crime or is suspected of a crime, um, that relationships starts to become. Um, you know, more strained, but more interesting at the at the same time as as we see how you know as she she looks at her own life in in terms of Stormy, and um, and so you know that that was definitely a big piece of of The Lantern Man. Um.
0: Yeah. And it was that's what I was going to say is that was a pretty huge uh, aspect of the story in general um and one of the most fascinating for me just kind of the because like you say it don't it borders on feeling like she's got a crush on him yeah um but it never gets all the way there really um
1: yeah there's a lot you see a lot of jealousy that she has towards when he he begins dating somebody there's this you know she wanted him for herself and and you're right even though it never be Actually, becomes romantic. That you know, there is this kind of possessiveness that she has about him, um, and so when when she loses him, that's that's really difficult for her, and kind of begins her descent into whatever madness comes next in the story.
0: Right, but and and even at the same time that uh, just that you know her the way she feels about her brother in its way already kind of feel kind of hints at uh, a potential for a mental illness being there. Right. Um, and yet in a way that remains um, pretty much totally enigmatic.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's in some ways, the big mystery of the book is whether she suffers from mental illness whether she's actually you know, so so the book for, for people who haven't read it um, it's kind of a boogeyman book as well so the lantern man is is this boogeyman that I created for the the town of Leadville Colorado which is a um, it's actually a really cool little mountain town if you're ever up in Colorado it's um, it was an old mining town from you know the, the late 1800s and so forth but um, I sort of created this this um, fictional boogeyman and lizzie in the story begins claiming that she's seen the lantern man um, and so as we read through it our, you know we're trying to figure out number one is she just is she hallucinating is she, does she have mental illness number two did she actually see the lantern man is the boogeyman real or number three is she manipulating uh the readers in, in some way and that's and that's what we have to figure out
0: right Right, and it's a kind of a kind of a John Bassoff trait. Am I pronouncing your last name? Yeah, that's there? that's good. Okay, um, is that uh, it's kind of like if you look up enigmatic in the dictionary, it's gonna it's gonna say John
1: Bassoff. I, like I like, I'll take that. It's better than other names I've been called by my wife. So
0: <laughs> yeah. The, the ones who know how to call us the worst of names.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um,
0: um, but I know much better than to trash talk my wife on the air because she sometimes <laughs> listens to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, be <laughs> careful. Shit. Yeah. Um, and now I made myself lose my own thought train of thought there. Um, but uh, oh yeah, I was talking about the the enigmatic aspects of your work and how i mean probably the least enigmatic enigmatic of your works that i have read um what that left me with the fewest questions was corrosion and that left me with a ton of questions you know (laughs) yeah um so yeah it's pretty common that you do that and of course uh The drive-through crematorium, which was an amazing book, and um, pretty much the entire community, at least of that I'm hooked up with, agreed with that assessment.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's um, you know when I wrote that book, um, I finished it, and I was thinking for a long time, like I don't think anyone will ever publish this, just because it, you know, that enigmatic is a good word, and it was. It was so. It was so such a strange, quirky book. Um, and so you're always you're always nervous putting something like that, that out there just to see if if people are going to respond to it or if it's just something, you know like I wrote it. I'm like I, I think it's good. I get everything I'm doing here, but you always wonder how people are going to respond. And so it's been it's been really nice that that people seem to have enjoyed the drive through crematorium, the lantern man, and um, you know there's been like. For me, amazingly, there's been like movie interest for *The Drive Through Crematorium*, which I don't understand because it's such a strange, strange book. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the book that I wrote that that you have not read yet that is the one that's probably the most enigmatic and the one that I think people have the toughest time with is *Factory Town*. Um, I think that's my favorite book that I've written, and partly just because a lot of people don't like it at all you know maybe it's just me trying to get back at them and and convince myself of something but um but that's probably the most enigmatic one i've written of all of them
0: uh now you've got me really super intrigued i'll have to pick that one up
1: it's man it is it's over the top it's weird it's crazy um so i i think you knowing you i think you'd like it but you, you might you might absolutely hate it too i don't know
0: ah yeah i doubt that part but um, I, I think I'd probably like it too. I've read the synopsis before. I just haven't haven't gotten around to it because I've got a mountain sitting on my desk right here. And, yeah. Um. So, uh, movie interest in the drive-through in a crematorium. I'm sitting here going, that would be like, I mean. Is it David Lynch who's interested? <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey man, I would love it if he directed. No, no we it's um we had some producers um who became interested and then um connected with uh, some finance people and you know so the, the thing. So I've I've kind of been dealing with this for a long time on on the movie aspect where I get stuff you get stuff optioned and then yeah. You hear a lot of promises and your your hopes go really high when you hear certain names and so forth, and then inevitably the rug gets pulled out. So when I say it's movie interest, I have no illusions that it's actually going to be made into a movie. But um, but you know they say they have financing and and they sent the script out to like you know kind of a I don't, I don't know if he's he's pretty he's probably a list kind of guy. And then um, so, if, you know, if he reads it and likes it, then it'll happen if he reads it and doesn't like it, which is probably more likely than than it won't happen. Um, but, it, you know, I've got a bunch of them out there right now that are kind of floating around and, you know, maybe one of them will stick. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And, and even the fact that they're out there floating around has got to be kind of a little bit surreal, you know, I know the first one is always cooler than the fifth one you have to wait for.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, and I, I think in some ways it's gotten easy over time. Because like, so, um, you know, when, when it started happening at first and, you know, you do have these producers saying this and that, I was just, it was such a roller coaster, you know, for, for a year of, you know, there was times when I was 100%, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then two days later, it's not going to happen. And, and now when, you know when they toss out these names and oh this actor's reading and, and this director's doing it, um, I just kind of nod my head and and forget about it um, because it's it, yeah it's too painful to be on that roller coaster too much.
0: Yeah, kind of kind of a bad idea to buy it before it's real in a situation like that, especially um when it comes to film I think. Yeah. Because you know, uh, money shifts around so much and
1: and. People- oh, and there's. Yeah, there's just so many pieces that have to fit at the right time. And uh, just to me, it's amazing a movie ever gets made.
0: Oh, yeah, me too. It's like uh, they have to really, really, really have decided to focus that day.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but uh, um, so uh, what about music? Do you, uh, do you have uh, music that you listen to when you're writing particular music that you enjoy when you're not writing etc
1: yeah i mean my you know when i'm when i'm not writing um my favorite singer is tom waits um i think he probably influences my writing as much as as any author so i i'm obsessed with tom waits um my mainstream singer i love is is Springsteen. Um, and then I listen to a lot of, you know, I listen to a lot of jazz, uh, Coltrane, Thelonious Monk, those kind of guys. Um, and then, yeah, when I'm writing, I tend to like—I I can't write with with uh, listening to music with words, so I tend to either listen to jazz or more commonly classical music. So you know, put some Beethoven or Brahms on, or or whatever the case might be, to, and that kind of helps help soothe me and get me in the mood for for writing. So. Um yeah, that's that's kinda where I am with music.
0: Yeah, it's kinda interesting. Um, like Waits and Springsteen kinda don't really surprise me with you because they're both uh um at their core, they're both storytellers, you know. Yeah. And um so I can see how that would be easy to be influenced by them. And in a way, I can see how your work is influenced by Waits just in, you know, that kind of gritty noir-esque um, style even of his writing with his lyrics and stuff.
1: Yeah. yeah, and the thing I love about Tom Waits is, you know, we talked about how, you know, my books tend to kind of shift from from book to book, and you, know, you listen to some of Tom Waits' really early stuff, and it's very, it's very kind of straightforward singer-songwriter, and then you know, became very sort of um, jazzy and, and um, you know, bar influence and so forth. And then in the 80s, it kind of shifts to more of that surreal carnival style. And, and I love how with, with Tom Waits, you don't know what to expect. Um, and plus, he's just, you know, he's an incredible lyricist. So, yeah, he's, he's a pretty big, pretty big influence.
0: Yeah, and kind of even, you know, no matter which thing he's taking on you know whether it's you know like you know those that you mentioned um he's also really 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 fucking good at all of them you know so so there's never any disappointment there um but uh, and that was you asked my next question which was did any of them influence you uh so and then the next one um, we've kind of talked about a little bit, too, but we haven't talked about your interest in um, film and the like.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I, I would say the the film that influenced me the most heavily from my youth was uh, that Mickey Rourke, Robert De Niro movie, Angel Heart from mid 80s or 1987, somewhere around there. I saw it when I was, you know, just like 13 years old. I don't know why my dad took me to see that one cuz I, I shouldn't have seen it as a 13 year old, but it really <laughs> stuck with me. Um, and you know, that movie has a lot of the it's got the the kind of the neo noir uh grittiness to it. It's also got that it's got the element of the, the supernatural. I don't really do supernatural stuff in my but but I liked how it kind of straddled genres as well and it's got an unreliable you know, protagonist as well. So um, I was, that was a movie that, that even today when I'm writing books, I'm always like, man, I wish I could, I wish I could do that in some ways. Um, and then, you know, some of that, my other favorite movies are movies like Badlands, uh, the Martin Sheen movie from the seventies. I absolutely loved. Um, I, I, you know, I love the old film noirs um, from movies like Double indemnity and, and detour and that kind of stuff. I really I really dig that stuff. Um, and then you know now I think probably I watch more horror than anything. But I'm I'm also kind of more disappointed by what I see more often than not. I'm always trying to find something that'll scare me, but but not always succeeding with that.
0: Yeah, I understand that. That's what I generally, especially with horror anymore, tend to go for in film. Um, they just seem to have a unique take on the genre and they actually have managed to scare the hell out of me a few times recently so
1: yeah i agree i um so actually the, the so the disassembled man who was the first book i wrote that one is got option as well and, and the director who's who's um on for that one is is a guy named ivan cavanaugh and um his first uh, movie was called the canal it's an irish horror movie from i don't know probably about five years ago really really dug it i mean it's i wouldn't say it's terrifying but it's it's like it's it's creepy and and beautifully shot and so forth and 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 i'm with you i've i've found a lot more um kind of joy in some of those foreign films there there was another one uh, i think it was maybe danish it's called terribly happy um, and it's it, it, not really a horror, it's, it's more of kind of a, a neo-noir movie, but again, one of those movies, even though it's got a crappy name, Terribly Happy, it's one of those movies that, that stuck with me for years since I've seen it, and I saw it probably about five years ago.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, me too, and The Canal, uh, you, that brought up a kind of side subject to that, and that was um, some of the Irish horror films that I've caught lately. Um, The Canal was one of them That it just blew my mind And stuck with me Um, And another one Was um, It's called Eclipse And it is not the Twilight Eclipse By
1: any means (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm writing this down Eclipse
0: Yeah really really super good movie Okay Um, I'll check it out And I wrote yours down too Because I'm always hunting But sorry i got distracted it's like oh i need to look that up usually i have other hosts talking to the guests while i'm sitting there fucking around on my computer
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've got i always have my phone i have this little you know note that i keep where i just have this list of all these movies that people mention and um, you know movies and books and um yeah that's you know it's so hard to to find the movies you want to watch and so for me getting someone you know someone I respect like you who I know we've got kind of similar tastes that's it's always a good thing
0: oh yeah yeah that's generally the way I go too I have a massive list of films I haven't seen yet because other people I trust said you know they enjoyed them for one reason or another are you still there john
1: yeah i'm here I'm okay here.
0: okay sorry i had i heard a crackle and then it's like oh did i lose him um no, I'm still here you brought up uh the fact that y- you don't really delve into the supernatural when you um in your books and and i agree with every everything i've written um and or written everything i've read but uh one thing that comes to mind is that with lantern man um it doesn't but does it is what i think a lot of readers probably think about that book
1: yeah you're right i mean that's that's certainly the closest i've come to that um you know as i mentioned before it's it's it become and there's a lot of ambiguity in the book and i and i meant there to be some ambiguity one of the things i i love about um like paul tremley is is how his books always have this this ambiguity at the end but it's not done in a way that just like pisses you off it's done in a way to you know really make you think um and so in in the lantern man there's there's definitely some of that I, i wanted it to be you know one of the things about so the lantern man, as I mentioned, is is sort of this boogeyman. But you know, one of the powerful things about boogeyman is that they're stories. You know, they're stories that that parents tell their kids to, you know, to scare them straight. And um, and so a, a lot of what the lantern man has to do is just the power of, of stories. Um, so you have the the lantern man himself, that story, and then you have Lizzie Greiner who's telling her story, um. And then within it, people are, are, you know, analyzing these stories and you you start to realize just, you know, how how powerful storytelling itself is. Um, And so that was, you know, aside from like all all the mystery and and who killed who and and is the Lantern Man real and all that stuff. um, I, I wanted there to be kind of at the center of this, just like, you know, how powerful storytelling itself can be.
0: Right. And, yeah, which is kind of at the center for me of all of your work, it feels like, you know, that's that's what it's all about is story and you're really, really good at it. Um, but uh, the other thought that I had related to that, um, that line of thinking, the, the supernatural versus, um, you know, straight up grit noir is that, Saying it's not supernatural and saying it's not horror, kind of uh, not not synonymous in this case, I don't think. You know, I mean, in the same way that like movies like Green Ho- Green Room or you know Blue Ruin, those Sonier films like that, uh, they're uh, that's kind of how I feel about with with your books too. They're not really what anyone would define as horror probably if they were selling it but um they certainly are
1: horrific yeah i, th- I think that's a great that's a great uh description maybe not horror but but horrific and if, for better or for worse it's you know so much of of selling books especially when you're like trying to get a you know an agent or a publisher or so forth is is being able to say this this is what this book is you know because then and it makes sense. It becomes, it becomes easier to find an audience if the audience has an expectation of what it is. And, and for me, I think that's always been a little bit of the challenge of, you know, when I, when I meet a stranger and they say, you know, they find out that I'm a, a writer and what kind of books do you write? And it'd be easier for me just to say, I write, I write horror. Um, but I do think most people think of horror as, as supernatural and, and, yep. For, for, you know, for the most part, and I don't know what percentage of horror is, is supernatural. It's probably a pretty good percentage. Um, but then I've, I've also kind of never felt at home in, in, you know, the crime fiction community because my stuff doesn't totally fit in there either. Um, so I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm just sort of an orphan wandering through, but, um, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think mo- a lot of authors feel like it, um, genre kind of is, is a, is a tough pigeonhole to, to kind of find your way out of.
0: Yeah, I, I think so, too. And it's kind of, but at the same time, it's also one I think, you know, a lot of authors, um, even as you seem to express somewhat, um, resist the definition, you know, for, for valid reason, you know, because I've rarely do I come across an author that could say, that they don't have aspects of multiple different genres in their work you know
1: yeah and and i i know and i sometimes i i feel like i risk sounding like holier than thou and saying oh it's a you know it straddles all these genres you know you can kind of sound a little pretentious when you're doing that as well and i have like you know i have i love genre fiction and i and i consider my my writing genre fiction i'm just not totally sure which genre it is
0: right that's kind of like if if you ask uh joe lansdale what genre he writes in um, right you're not going to get a straight answer about that you're going to get a i you know i don't really i just write stories you know (laughs) so yeah
1: man i wish i wish i was joe lansdale what a what great
0: writer he is uh you and me both brother i would uh kill for that talent
1: yeah and he's a really he's a great guy too so
0: yeah i've heard that and i've i just watched and reviewed uh the movie all hail the popcorn king um which is a documentary about joe and he seems like he's a super super nice guy and all the people they talk to in the film about him also seem to agree with that assessment and uh really 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 admire him him you're not the first one to tell me that he was a super nice guy
1: yeah when i was um a few years ago i got to do a little book tour in france when uh, corrosion was translated over there and um i i went to this bookstore and the bookstore was this incredibly nice kind guy and, and we were talking and basically he told me that his favorite author in the world is joe lansdell he said just by he's the great he was just obsessed with him and so i um when i got back to the united states i just sent joe an email and said hey and, you know told him the the deal with this guy and you know joe went out of his way to to get a few of his books and sign them and send them off to france so yeah he's a he's a he's a generous guy
0: yeah that's pretty cool um he seems like that, and it kind of, I mean, you couldn't say it comes through in his work, but it does come through in a lot of his writing outside of the, you know, outside of his fiction. But I'm sure not as much as it does having interacted and, you know, talked to him. And But um, I digress. Uh, where... I, I don't... Uh, I will never allow myself to be accused of saying, where do you get your ideas? <laughs> but, um, was there any basis in experience for the creation of, uh, the Lantern Man as a legend?
1: Hmm. Let me think, you know, so over the last, I guess, seven or eight years, every summer I've, I've gone up to, to Leadville, Colorado to, to write. Um, and I talked about it a little bit earlier on, um, the thing I love about Leadville is it's, it's still a real town. Like it's still it's like a working class town. Cause most, most mountain towns in Colorado are, are either, um, just kind of like bedroom communities where people get away from the city or whatever, or they're ski towns or they're gambling towns, casino towns. And Leadville is one of the few that it isn't, it's not a ski town. Uh, it's, there's no casinos there and it's still a working town. Um, you know, there's, there's some tourists there, but it's not overrun by any stretch. And so every summer I would go up there and um, and do writing in this in this old hotel called the Hotel Delaware, which is, you know, I just it feels haunted. You know, it's it's uh, feels straight out of a Stephen King book. And there's there's all sorts of there's I went on this hike and and got to this area there that was called the Hagerman Tunnel. Um, which is kind of prominent in the, in the book. But the Hagerman Tunnel was this, you know, back in the 1800s, they were trying to get across the mountain. They built this kind of long tunnel, you know, that was a couple miles in length right there at sort of the top of this mountain. Um, and then it only lasted a few years when they ended up building another one instead, another railroad tunnel. And so this one has just kind of been abandoned, but it's still there. Um, And you go up there and it's just like it's the it's almost kind of an out of body experience going there and, and, you know, kind of imagining the work that went into creating this. And it's just it's creepy. You know, there's the sound of kind of water dripping from the ceiling and and the snow stays in there year round because it doesn't get any sun. And, you know, there's all these warning signs. Don't enter, don't enter, don't enter and so forth. And um, so when I, as I was sitting there, I was saying, you know what, there's there's got to be got to be a story told here. Um, and I think from there came this idea of this of this boogeyman who would call Hagerman Tunnel his home and and would kind of, you know, drag the bad boys and girls that he had taken away from their houses to to Hagerman Tunnel. And so yeah, I think that's kind of how it started, um, you know. As, as you know, like ideas don't work very in, in a linear fashion, you know, one thing kind of leads to another and then drop back and, you know, you take little pieces from things you've written before and you add a little spice here and a little bourbon there. And, and then that's what happened.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and to good effect too. Um, and that's uh, another thread that runs pretty heavily through your work. Um, is uh, how much how much the location the locale plays into um, the stories you write
1: yeah that's that's really important for me um, you know because I think our, our settings obviously this is, this is no deep statement but our, our settings influence who we are as people and so almost all of my settings have have been you know kind of in that, Noir tradition of, of very gritty and, um, down on luck kind of places, you know, so Corrosion and and the Lantern Man both kind of feature heavily the, the, the mountains, um, and these, these kind of creepy mountain towns, um. You know, the Blade This Time is a book I wrote that takes place in kind of the a, a mythological version of New York City. Obviously, it doesn't exist as much anymore in Manhattan, but, you know, kind of that 1940s noir vision, uh, version of New York City. Uh, the Disassembled Man takes place in out in the desert um, in a, a meatpacking town. Um, and then, you know, Factory Town, another one I wrote, is kind of this has this post-industrial wasteland that that it takes place so so all of them have these really um difficult um strange settings that that sort of mirror the what's going on in, in the narrator psyche obviously you know the biggest difference was the drive-through crematorium which which takes place in in the suburbs in this very sanitized suburb and so that was one reason I was kind of terrified to write that story because I was like, D- it doesn't fit into my writing style. You know, I've always written with these, this, these really dark settings, and this was this was something totally different. But once you accept the fact that there's so much darkness even in the in the brightest suburb, it made it a little bit easier.
0: Yeah, and they're really, I mean, you really managed to dredge a lot of darkness up out of that setting, um, and it was fascinating with that one how. How complex you could make what was almost almost a microcosm of a setting you know what i mean and give it so many different aspects and features and you know um even so much as different events that happen through the eyes of different people happen differently you know what i mean and just right. interesting which is which is life
1: it is yeah yeah i mean i uh, you you start to I mean, I I, place that I live is kind of is in between a a small town, the suburbs, you know, where we live in kind of a a medium sized town. And and there's definitely times when it feels hard to to feel that um, that inspiration of of darkness. But then as soon as you start talking to people and you start digging into, you know, what's going on beneath, you realize it's that that darkness is it's everywhere.
0: Um. Yeah. Yeah, it's really not hard to dredge up once you, once you interact with other human beings or even, you know, just read a newspaper sometimes, you know.
1: That's, that's too dark for even me.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Me too. Um, my, my wife and I always have the conundrum that she's fascinated by the news and I want nothing to do with it. So we yeah. kind of balance each other.
1: I've, I've always been a news junkie but the, the last few months is it's just become too much so i'm like i eh, can't do it anymore
0: yeah yeah that's me too i used to watch it every day but i don't uh hardly at all anymore um anyway sorry i'm not used to my voice is getting a little bit scratchy i'm uh
1: yeah, you're gonna... doing all the work yourself this time
0: yeah exactly <laughs> um so that was no that will no you took that question away from me too. That was a question about where that inspiration for Lizzie and Stormy came from and um
1: Yeah, no, I'll, I'll say just kind of adding to that a little bit, um you know, my mom's a psychologist and so I think I sort of I sort of grew up sort of um, you know, fascinated with with mental illness and and you know psychological aspects of things um so i credit my mom who's the sweetest person in the world but i i credit her a lot for a lot of those psychological aspects that go into most of my books including the lantern man
0: um yeah that's actually a good background to have for that especially with you know i can see how in a way that interest also informs um your style the way you craft a story you know yeah or, or a character basically is what I mean um, but uh, uh sorry John, I lost my train of thought again um what about uh, works coming up do you have anything that uh, um, is in the works that you can talk about or
1: yeah well I've always got stuff coming up I've um you know I I actually feel like sometimes I put out too many books, you know, sometimes my, I feel like I write them faster than people can read them. Um, and, and sometimes it's just the question of, they like, you know, didn't get picked up for a while. And they start piling up on each other. But, you know, I had the drive through crematorium that came out, it came out last August and then the lantern man came out in March. And then I've got another one coming out here in October. Um, and it's, it's called captain Clive's dream world. And, um, uh, captain clive's dream world takes place i was actually inspired when my family and i took a vacation to to disney world in florida and there's a I i forget even the name of the town there's this little town right next to disney world that's like a sort of built as sort of a company town i don't think it ended up being that but it's like this perfect you know uh, nostalgic town that they created there in you know right outside of disney world and it's it's very creepy. Um, and so this story that I've done called Captain Clyde's dream world is uh, the basic premises. There's this, um, amusement park called Captain's Clive's dream world that was, was going to kind of rival Disney world as, as this big amusement park. But on the very first day that the amusement park opened, there was a, a terrible tragedy. And so, amusement park nobody ever kind of went back but now they've got this company town and so they're trying to figure out a way to to keep this company town going and and um my my main character ends up going there to to the the town and to to investigate some stuff and since it's a john bassoff book he begins discovering a lot of dark things about the town and himself so that's coming out here in in october and then um I've got another book I won't really get into, but it's, it's called Beneath Cruel Waters, and, uh, and that'll be coming out from, from Blackstone Publishing in 2022.
0: Awesome. Um, that book sounds killer. Um, I mean, I'm excited about both, but the, the one you described sounds amazing to me.
1: Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, I like it a lot. It's, it's, it's dark, it's, it's twisted, it's got all the the stuff that you're used to with my stuff so i think you'll like it it's kind
0: of yeah i i think i hope so too but i'm sure i will um you've yet to disappoint me but um it's interesting too li- sitting here i'm sit- sitting here listening to you tell me about it and um almost as mesmerized as if i'm reading a book right you know
1: oh, thank you I- I feel like I usually do a crappy job of explaining, but but thank you.
0: Uh, that was perfect. It made me really, really want to read it. And it also made me think of, about, you know, how you create those worlds out of your head and make me think about, you know, God, it's like, do you have these entire worlds living in your head and you just reach in and grab pieces from them when you need to talk about one in your book? <laughs> you
1: yeah, know? I don't I- it is a weird thing i mean you know not to get into where ideas come from because we all know that that that's a tough one to talk about but um it is it's just this sort of organic thing where you know sometimes you can you put your finger on it like when i was in disney world i was like this is a miserable experience for me but i'm gonna make something out of it <laughs> where that idea came from and other times you're just like it where the hell did where the hell this idea come from i don't know
0: uh, yeah those ones are the ones that surprise you kind of yeah um, but pay off but yeah that's always it's interesting to me when it, it comes to world building you know how those things come about and the thought that the, that it's uh, kind of a mixture of influence and just inspiration um, makes
1: sense yeah yeah that's a perfect that's a perfect description I think
0: so, well, um, when that, when the book comes out in October or close to then, um, I want to have you come back and talk to us.
1: That would be great. I would, I would love to do that. And I will, um, I'll send you a copy as soon as we have the advance out.
0: Excellent. Excellent. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I will be reviewing, um, the Lantern Man here on, on this podcast in the very near future, but, uh, in a nutshell for listeners, um. I really, really dig this book, and I think you will, too. So, yeah, buy it and read it.
1: Oh, thanks, Shane. I appreciate that.
0: Thank you for being here, John.
1: All right. Take care, Shane.
0: Yep. Have a good one. Bye. Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing?